for hitting that play button. I'm Sal Barry of PuckJunk.com. Along with me is Tim Parrish, the real DFG on Twitter. Today we're going to go back to talking about hockey cards, a topic that we kind of had to put on the side for a bit with all the stuff going on in the NHL with the awards and the Stanley Cup and the draft. And now it's the summer and I think it's uh, time to talk about some cards. So today we're going to talk about the 1971-72 Tops and Opeachy sets. So I will tell a quick story about at least the top set because I don't have all of the Opeachy cards, but 7172 Tops was the first vintage set I put together. I started putting it together as a kid. I was 15 when I found some of the cards at a comic book store. The dealer was friends with my mom. He cut me a good price on 30 cards. I think I got like 30 cards for $20, and it's a 132-card set. So I told myself, well, I'll just pick away at this set until it's done. And uh, it took me probably 10 years to finish that set. Uh, As I got older, I kept buying more and more cards, and then I think the very last card I needed was an unmarked checklist. And that one was a little pricey, but uh, it was a it was a fun set for me to put together. Uh, a lot of those early 70s top sets are pretty good to put together because they're only like 132 cards. And of course, there's a few cards that are pricey, but a lot of them are commons and semi-stars, and you could find them pretty cheap. What kind of condition is the set you put in? I guess you'd say it's X-Mint. I'm not super picky. I don't like creases. I don't like heavily rounded corners. I don't like stains on the back. So I think all the cards I'd say are X-Mint or better. It's funny, the Ken Dryden rookie card, how did I luck into that? I actually ended up with two of them. I think my grandmother bought them for me. She used to go to this church for this senior citizens luncheon every day. And the priest there, he wasn't really into comic books, so we used to talk. He found a stack of hockey cards. And, you know, I was an honest guy. And, you know, I said, well, you know, you could borrow my price guide. You could see what they're worth. And he had, like, a Ken Dryden rookie card. Actually, I think he had two of them. And I think at the time... They had like a book value of like $45, and I think I got them for 20 each, which I was extremely pleased with. You know what I mean? Because like you'd go to a show, they were like $40, $50, $60 cards. So I got that one pretty cheap, and that actually put me pretty well on my way to putting together that set because then the only other really big hurdles were the uh, Bobby Orr card and the Gordy Howe card. And I was able to pick all three of those up at the same time when I got them few years back at one of the shows in Rosemont, I ended up with the Dryden, the How, and the Or, all for 50 bucks. Good condition, I take it? Uh, they're not bad. There's no really major issues on any of them. I mean, obviously, they're old, so, you know, you have that. I wouldn't say these are going to end up with a high grade if I ever sent them in, but they're good enough for me. For being as old as they are. I think that's one of the things that makes collecting cards really exciting right now. Not so much selling cards, because back in the early 90s, you could sell a card for $100. I mean, you could still sell a card for $100 now, but what I mean is, like, the internet pretty much leveled the playing field. Leveled? It decimated it. Okay, it decimated the playing field. I don't think there's much of a playing field left. Here's the thing. When we collected, when we started growing up as kids, cards were priced at what they were priced. I mean, that's just what it was. If a dealer wanted to put a price tag on it, that's what he put on it. Now, obviously, when Beckett rolled around and the Tough Stuff price guides came around, 
you know, that became the gospel for a lot of the retailers selling their wares. But, you know, as the internet started to become more and more popular, you look at any guide price or any online price for something, you're going to find it on eBay or some other auction site for 10 to 20% of that. So the overall value of these is probably still there. From a buying and selling standpoint, you're right. There's no money here. Right. Unless you have something that's high, high quality, graded something high. I mean, obviously those those are going to get a premium. I mean, look at the Dryden card. I mean, the Dryden card in this set alone, even the tops version in a high grade, it's selling for well over a thousand bucks. You know, you get an Opeachy one, you've, you pretty much double that in a decent condition. We're talking nine and a half or a ten. Same thing with the Gordie Howe and, and the Bobby Orr's. You know, they're pulling a few hundred bucks where, like I said, I pulled all three of these in decent condition in my mind for 50 bucks at a show. That's the nice thing is that now in this day and age, you can, if you look long enough, hard enough, you can find things for a price or close to a price that you're willing to pay. I mean, there's some things that you're never going to find dirt cheap. I don't think you'll ever find a Bobby Orr, Gordie Howe rookie dirt cheap. Maybe ripped in half. What's that? said so maybe if it's ripped in half. Yeah, well then that's half the card, right? There you go, 50% off. 50. <laughs> uh, so, hey, now here's something. Just looking at that Dryden card, what's unique about the Dryden card? What do you notice about that card that's unique? Well, compared to everything else in the set, it's pretty much the only, I guess you would call it, action shot. Yes! I mean, there's a few out there of players holding sticks and maybe looking like they could be standing waiting for a face-off kind of thing, but these are all staged photos. These are all posed shots. Closed shots. Right. The Dryden card looks like he was superimposed out of an action shot where he was actually playing. Right. Because if you look at him, the eyes are focused. That's not a staged photo. He's doing something. Either practice or playing in a game or, or something's going on there. Okay, so the, the Dryden card is the outlier there. What I love about the set, I love the fact that these are all posed shots. There's a consistency there. There's a lot of things I like about the set. If I was going to go decade by decade and review every set based on design, the 7172 top set for me, that is the best set of the decade as far as the look goes. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, not not so much, maybe not the player selection, maybe not the best rookie cards in the set, maybe not the biggest set or whatever, but just the design of it. When us old-timey collectors who remember, you know, the 80s, the 90s, collecting cards then, and we look at stuff from like the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and then even in the 80s and 90s, I feel like these are when cards were really designed. And now it's kind of like, slap a logo on it. Oh, wait, let's make the logo shiny. Done. Oh, wait, no, wait, we're going to put the name in silver foil. There we go. Now it's done, right? And here, I mean, if you look at this... If you look at these 7172 cards, it could be a poster for the circus with the bubble letters and the bright colors. With the bubble letters, yeah. The bubble letters and the bright colors. Like you said, the stage photos, what they did was they put these background colors in there, obviously after the fact. Bright background colors. And they're very, that's exactly it. They're very bright background colors. And it's interesting the color choices they chose because... You look at some of the cards that they make today, well, for that matter, you look at most of the cards that are manufactured today, and most of the color schemes follow the same patterns as the team colors. So if you pull a Bruins card, it's generally the the orangish-yellow color and black and white. You pull a Red Wings card, it's red and white. 
pull a Rangers card, it's red, white, and blue, or some some mix of that. But if you look at these, they're all over the place. I mean, this is the epitome of 70s style and culture. They do appear all over the place, but actually these were all very meticulous color choices. I did a uh, breakdown of the design of this set, and some of the cards use complementary colors. Some of the cards use color triads. Some of them use alguous, meaning like near each other on the color wheel. They didn't just shoot in the dark and say, oh, we're going to pick these two colors just because they're garish. They might have picked two colors that were very garish, you know, like the bright red, the bright yellow, but they went very well together. So you're talking like from a design standpoint. Is yes. What they, okay. What I, what I meant more along the lines of nothing matches like the team color. Like look at the Gordie Howe, okay? If if you if you have a Gordy Howell and you you see the picture on it, Red Wings is in red, but the background is in bright yellow, like Big Bird color yellow. And then that blue circle around the picture, and then there you have your primary color triad. So they all work well together. It looks weird, but it works. You're right. It looks really weird from a matching team player color designs up, but it works on the card design, which for being as off the wall and out of the ordinary it actually is above that that's why i like this set it's stylish for the time period which makes it really cool uh, you know and another thing typical of the 70s cards they had a little cartoon on the back love them or hate them i think everybody loves them do the opichi cards have the cartoon i know the tops cards do uh yes they do because the opichi cards have a totally different back design than the top Ops ones did. They're horizontal instead of vertical. Yeah, and I don't know if I like that or not. I mean, the DOPG cards are obviously easier to read because they're black ink on, like, medium green background, which I like. The tops cards are, like, dark green ink on, like, a dark yellow background. So the tops cards are a little harder to read. I do like the fact that they're upright. I mean, I always liked it when I could put cards in pages and flip through the pages. You can read them without turning your head. Exactly. Turning my head or turning the book. And I do like that about the tops set. I'm not going to diss the Opeachy set for obvious reasons, but also the Opeachy cards are easier to read. But you know, at the same time, I mean, they had to have the two different languages and they do that nicely. They're easy to read as long as you speak French. Well, or English. Or read French, I suppose. Yes. Yeah, there's, they're split in half. Right, you got the English on one side, and you got the you got the English on the top, you got the French on the bottom, and then the cartoon has both languages. You know, and uh, just a couple of the quick differences. Top set has 132 cards. Opichi set has 264 cards. The Opichi set's going to run you a lot more than putting together the top set, mainly because of the demand of it being the Opichi cards. Another thing that's interesting, though, is that the tops cards, the first six cards in the set are leaders, like goal leaders, assist leaders, point leaders, goalie win leaders, goalie shutout leaders, and goals against average leaders. Those are not in the Opeechi set. The Opeechi set instead has award winner trophy cards and first team, second team, all-star cards. And they're at the end instead of the beginning. Yes. And then again, the, the Gordy Howe card, which is interesting that the tops set has the card of Gordy Howe just as a Red Wing, like a standard player card. The Opeechi set does not have a card of Gordy Howe as a Red Wing, per se, like with Red Wings at the top, but it does have a Gordy Howe retires card that has like a facsimile autograph on it and also looks really nice. I find that to be kind of weird because it's not like he didn't have stats from the previous year to where he wouldn't be eligible for a card or anything like that. 
Right, but he retired, so they were like, well, don't make a normal card for him. Make a retirement card for him. He's like the biggest player in hockey. Why do you not make a regular card of him? Come on. that That's something I don't understand about that set. That That is weird to me. But, again, I have the card from top, so that's that's good. Because if they did make an OPG one, I'd probably never get my hands on it. Because I'm sure it would be twice as much to find. Well, and you know, I, I like it when there's some differences between the two sets because it gives gives you some motivation to get both of them. I mean, I know a couple months ago we were talking about 84-85 tops and 84-85 Opeechee, and I, I honestly think the top set is like pretty much near worthless because the Opeechee set has all the same cards and then like a ton of other cards and other than maybe like now with Detroit or now with Edmonton or whatever on like a handful of the cards it's really like the same set and at least with the 70s you had some photo variances you had some cards that existed maybe in the top set but not the Opeechee set or you had cards that looked entirely different you know we you said it mentioned about the little comic on the back and here's here's something funny on the back of the Gordie Howe it's got a picture of a hockey player with a, a long beard that goes down to the ground like Rumpelstiltskin. And it says, Gordy is starting his 26th season in the NHL. Oh, well, there you go. They had no idea that he was retiring. So I guess the question is, did Tops come out before Opeechee was released? Yes. So Tops, Tops would have had no idea. Gordy announces his retirement. These have already gone to print. So the Opeechee counterpart capitalizes on it by moving out the card and putting in a retirement tribute card yes see that we just learned this whole story cards are history (laughs) so anyways i want to circle back a bit and talk a little bit about the design of these cards because it is one of my all-time favorite designs for hockey cards we talked about how these were all static portrait shots except for of course Dryden and then you have like the bright colors the bubbly letters there's a really nice balance to the card because the cards play on symmetry where like the team name at the top gets bigger and then smaller and then bigger again it kind of you know goes from big to small back to big and then you have like the symmetry of the human body and then you have like the team logo on one side and the player's name on the other side so you could almost fold these cards in half which I don't recommend doing but you can almost fold these cards in half and it'd be pretty darn near symmetrical so they have this nice balance to them which I think offsets the loud colors now if you think about in 2001-2002, 30 years later, Tops and Opeechee revisited this design in their sets. They did a parallel set. I think it was like the first 110 cards of each set had a retro parallel that looked like 71-72 Tops and Opeechee cards, and it did not work. And the reason why it did not work is because they would cut out action pictures of the player and put them on the bright background, and it just looked weird. What year was that again? 2001-2002. I remember those, and there was always something odd about them. I can never put my finger on what that was. It just looked They just looked weird. Yeah, and there's three things. One is that because the player was in some sort of action pose, it threw off the balance of the card. 
Another thing that was wrong was sometimes other players would be incorporated into the picture. Like if they had a goalie, but there was like part of another player in front of him, then that other player would also be cut out and put within that colored oval, which again, looked weird because it wasn't isolating the player. I mean, these big colored ovals almost look like a spotlight on the player. And then when you add other stuff into it, you lose that. And then some of the cards, for some reason, had like, I remember like the Colorado Avalanche. It says Colorado, and then it has Avalanche. And like, if I remember correctly, uh, it, it has like... The, the city name above the team name. So the team name is still in the bubbly letters, but the city name is above it. And it, again, yeah, it just every, looks every set shows the team name except for the Avalanche, which says Colorado, and the Wild says Minnesota. And I think the Mighty Ducks says the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. So if it's a new team or an expansion team recently or within the last 10 years that people may not know, they throw that on there. Carolina Hurricanes has it. There's like no consistency to any of it. Right, and the Predator says Nashville Predators, but the Penguins just says Penguins. Sharks just says Sharks. That's, that's messed up. So, you know, I hate it when they just say, oh, let's just take an old design, let's put new players on it, and then people are thinking, okay, that's rad, because I like old designs and I like new players, but then they always screw it up somehow. Going back probably six years, that was all... That was all you'd ever see. Everybody came out with a retro set or, you know, something that was a tribute to some year or some type of design or reprint sets or it's just, you know, they keep recycling and over and over and over again instead of coming up with new designs. And even when you take one of the best designs and that hockey cards I've ever seen, you still don't, you still can't do it justice. So. Yeah, the 2014 Baseball Archive set also used the 71-72 Tops design for, for their baseball set for, like, parallel cards. And it really annoyed me because it's like, well, okay, Tops, you're going to take the design because you own the design, and you're going to put it on baseball cards. And they didn't even do a good job of it. Oh, yeah. Baseball Archives from last year? Yeah. I mean, it, this design could work for other sets. I think it works with, like, the portrait cards. It doesn't really work with, like, the action cards. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and one last thing that I'll mention before we wrap it up. The 7172 top set, they had they inserted these little comic books as, uh, like, one per pack. There were little comic books like the Gilles Perrault story, the Ed Jacquemin story, the uh, Andre Richard story, the Dale Talon story. The infamous player booklets. These are really cool. It, it's a it's a kind of a fun thing that, that you would pull out of a pack. They're printed on almost like a newsprint type material paper. They're slightly nicer than your comic book pages. They're tough to find in good condition because above, above all else, kids read them. You'd open them up, you'd flip the pages, they'd get all bent up, the dick corners get smashed. So um, they'd fall apart very easily, right? They'd fall apart easily, but, uh, you know, I like, it's probably one of my favorite inserts. Like, I like hockey insert cards. I think now they're ridiculous. I think back in the 70s and 80s, it was easier when there was just, like, one insert set to chase after, whether it was a set of stickers or a set of comic books or whatever. I think these comic books are unique enough that I, I had to track them down. Like, I see some of the other inserts, and I just go, eh, okay, great. 
logo stickers or team crest stickers or whatever and you're just like oh well they did them in 73 and 74 and so you know whatever and I, I just I don't care that much but like with the comic books I had to track them down because I guess because when I was a kid I also liked comic books so like little hockey comic books of like these players from the 70s to me seemed like a really cool idea they're very sanitized PG stories of your favorite hockey players. Well, not not my favorite, because these guys were all retired by the time I started watching hockey. I think the comic books are, even if you find them in kind of rough shape, uh, even if the pages inside are loose, they're just still fun to have, fun to look at. They are, in the subject matter of all the players. I mean, at the time, you got to figure these were, these were players that were, these were the superstars of the time. So appealing to the kids out there that may have been open in these packs, these are going to be their... They're players that they looked up to. These are going to be their heroes. So hearing a little story about them, maybe something you've never never knew before, is uh, it's definitely a fun thing to get in addition to the cards themselves. All right, so I'm going to end this podcast by saying that this is definitely my favorite set of the 70s. I recommend, if you like collecting cards, you find this one just because it looks so awesome. It's just one of those iconic designs. You know, most of the commons can be found for like a buck or two. Most of the stars, if you look hard enough, you could find them relatively um, affordable you know, maybe the checklist, not so much unless you get a marked one, but you know, the Orr, the Dryden, the How, maybe Bobby Hall in the top set. The Opeachy set is a different story because you have Guy Lafleur in that one also. Right. And Marcel Dion. And don't forget the top and bottom cards too. The top and bottom cards? I'm sorry. Yeah, the top and bottom cards, like the number one card in the top set, the Esposito and Hall League leader card. And oh, then, yeah. And then the Dunk the Dunk McCallum, which I think is 132. Yep. Those are pretty rough because everybody wrapped everything in rubber bands. Heck, even I did that as late as the late 80s. Banded my all my football cards by team. Sure. That's why number the number one card and the, and the last card in most of these sets, you know, pre-1980 are... Uh, they're, they're hard to find in good condition. All right. Well, thanks for listening this week, and hopefully you'll listen again next week. Yeah.